Because some people didn't know it. It goes back to the early 80s. Man, that's what happens when you get old. Everything goes back, back in the day, which I'm going to do as well. How many of you are Coke people? Let me see your hands. Coca-Cola. How many of you are Pepsi people? Any Pepsi? Got a few. Got a few Pepsi people. That shows your lack of sanctification, but God will get you there. Okay? Any Mountain Dew people? I like Mountain Dew. Any root beer people? Root beer? Several of those, yeah. Yeah, I like some of it. And uh, how about uh, Dr. Pepper? Where are the Dr. Peppers? Okay. I drink mainly Coca-Cola right now. But back when I was a teenager, I think I just followed with the trend. All of my friends drank Dr. Pepper. And so I was a member of the commercial, you know, drink it and you'll be a pepper too. I was a pepper. And uh, there was a commercial in there that said uh, it's the most misunderstood soft drink. Something like that. Okay. And uh, I got to thinking about that. You know, it's not a cola. It's something much, much more. It's not a root beer. There are root beers by the score. Drink Dr. Pepper, the joy, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I got to thinking about that when I put my title down for this particular message. We're in Psalms 84, so go ahead and take your Bible and turn there. And... Um, I was thinking about this, this man as he travels and he is on his way to the temple. He didn't just have a 10-minute, 15-minute drive to church. In fact, he didn't drive anywhere because they either walked, mostly walked, or they would go on an animal. And to go from, we don't know where he was from, but wherever he had to go, it was a pretty good distance, pretty good distance. If you were going to the temple for one of the feasts from Galilee, it was long distance. But maybe if you're going from, you know, Bethlehem, not quite as long, but not 10-minute drive either. And uh, those times of going to the temple, they were slow and arduous. They were dangerous sometimes. There might be robbers, wild animals, things like that. And uh, it just... You know, maybe you took enough water, maybe you didn't. Maybe you took enough food, maybe you didn't. Maybe you got delayed. Maybe you stopped to help somebody else. Uh, maybe you went with a group and the group went slower than you anticipated. And, and just think about what all they had to go through. The weather, it might be raining, it might be hot, it might be cold. And uh, all of that would have an effect on you. But now, uh, well, last week we saw that when you go through the desert times you want to be like this guy dig a well dig a well you could use it and somebody else could use it as well and uh, now we finally got him to the temple okay so if you will look down with me and uh why'd that change pages i didn't do anything let me back it up here okay and uh we go down to verse eight and you notice that he starts praying. He's in the temple and he's praying now. And so I've entitled this prayer, Neglected and Misunderstood. And I think that if there's anything that is an indictment against the church, some people have said, we need to get back to the book of Acts. I think if you went back to the book of Acts, you wouldn't find so much that they spoke in tongues or raised people from the dead. I think you'd find that the glaring error of the church today as opposed to the early church is a lack of prayer. We uh, do it kind of a, as a formal thing. We do it as a ritualistic thing. And sometimes, sadly, we even do it as kind of a mindless thing. And you remember Jesus told us that we're not to pray like the heathen do. And then he describes the pagans as praying long prayers. And then he says that they were just vain repetition. Vain repetition. That's always bothered me. Because the word vain means empty. And uh, then repetition, we know what that means. And I thought, how many times do we sing songs? And how many times do we pray prayers when we do pray that are just empty, mindless, thoughtless repetition. And I'm kind of glad that we're not from a tradition where we have our prayers written out for us and we all pray the same prayers at the same time. 
and yet, sometimes we do pray the same prayers in the same way at the same time. We get involved in what I call cliche praying. And we wonder why God doesn't seem to bless us. Uh, it's probably because we bore him to death with those things. We pray words and phrases that we heard grandpa pray or mom and dad pray or some deacon at the church pray. And uh, they just kind of come out and it's not the way we normally talk. It's not the way we normally think. But, you know, and when you're at home, you eat. When you're at church, have you ever noticed you always partake? And nobody says partake. Have you ever been out with some of your friends and said, let's go by Sonic and partake of a burger. Uh, nobody says that. But when you come to church, it's a church kind of word. Uh, some people even change their voice. When I was a kid, we would listen to people pray. The pastor might call on somebody. And we would listen to them. And this man, who normally kind of talks like this, when he gets ready to pray, he goes, let us pray. And everything changes. Everything changes. And sometimes people uh, attempt to use King James English in their prayers. And, uh, hey, give it up. You, you don't understand it, and you're not very good at it. And some people think that if they just put an E-T-H on the end of a word, that's prayer language, right? And, uh, yeah, it's really not. When I was in... Uh, would have been in fifth grade when we were stationed in Kansas. We had a Sunday school teacher. He loved the Lord. Don't get me wrong on anything I say. He loved the Lord. He was a witness for Christ and he loved us. But every time he prayed, he prayed like he was Shakespeare. And we asked him one time, do you have to pray and use those words? He was a Hispanic man in the army and he goes, oh... When you love the Lord like I love the Lord, you want to use the holy words. And that kind of gets into your mind. Oh, well, holy words. You've got to use holy words whenever you pray. Now, one of the things that is misunderstood about prayer is none of the people in the Bible used holy words, quote-unquote, just for the sake of using holy words. In fact, as you read through the Psalms, even you find some of them, they didn't even have time for a formal prayer. They were crying out to the Lord, and it's very emotional, it's very raw, and it's extremely real. And I think that uh, prayer sometimes gets misunderstood. Why, why should we pray? Some people have the idea that praying is so that I can get God to give me what I want. And uh, so most of the time our prayer is like a shopping list. Our prayer is uh, like a Christmas list or something like that. And then we are like little children who get kind of ticked off when we don't get what we want for Christmas. And I think that uh, that leads to several things. I think first of all, if you are trying to use words you don't really understand when you pray, no wonder you don't pray more. If you are trying to use holy words that are going to impress God and then you kind of get the impression he's not really all that impressed because prayer is not so much your language, it's your heart and the cry of your heart. Uh, no wonder, no wonder you don't pray much or pray very effectively. And if you uh, make prayer that's just a ritual done certain times, certain places with repeated cliches, well, no conversation is very interested if you pray or talk. Just, just say if we were to sit and talk, if we talked about the same old things in the same old way every time we got together, after a while, that gets a little old. You probably have some people who do that. They call you up on the phone and you can predict what you're going to talk about and it's not all that much fun. I think prayer can be the same way. We are so busy repeating cliches and praying about the same old thing in the same old way and in the same old order. Okay? Got to kind of shake it up a little bit and be real. Uh, think about this. You might hear somebody pray. This is going back. This is kind of old school. Uh, Father, we pray that you would lead, guide, and direct us. How did you know that? Because you've heard it like I have all your life. Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. I never say that any other time. Um, I don't ever say to my friends, 
you know, again, like the Sonic thing, let's go over and get a cheeseburger for the nourishment of our body. We don't do that. They're cliches, things that come out. And so uh, I would just challenge you to look a little bit at the way you pray. Do you go into prayer mode? Do you go into a certain tone of voice? Do you feel more like praying in some places more than you do at others? Do you um, change your voice? Do you uh, become very conscious of the people who are listening? Uh, I've had somebody say to me one time, I do a lot of praying, but please don't ever ask me to pray in public. I said, you don't like it, huh? And they said, no. And I said, you know what? You're in good company. God doesn't really like it either. Uh, Why? Because so many times Jesus would deal with the Pharisees because of their love for the public prayer time. And they would uh, pray for the glory of themselves and for the praise of man. And sometimes we all find ourselves, me included, where when you start to pray, you're thinking about who's listening. And you're wondering... How come nobody's saying amen? What do I need to say? And, and, and have you ever watched somebody that you could tell by the way they were praying, they were sort of fishing for a response from the other people. And they were praying more to the crowd than to the Lord. And the Lord hates that, and we should too. So we got to be careful, especially when we have a public prayer, that we're not praying to be heard of men And that's a difficult, difficult thing to get out of. We've got to be careful for the reason that we pray, the motive that we pray. And I think a lot of people are way off base on that. So let's uh, just look at this is not the longest prayer. It's not necessarily the best prayer in the Bible. But it is, uh, to me, interesting. And I think we can learn or be reminded of some things. Look at verse 8 in Psalm 84. O Lord God of hosts... Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Well, he just got started. Why is he asking us to stop? Because what he said in those two phrases is uh, is what I'm going to uh, submit to you is sort of the basis for why we would even pray at all. And so the psalmist gets overcome by that. And we look at it and we go, "Eh, no big deal. And uh, it's sort of like when we say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I wonder if sometimes we ought to do a Selah there and go, Wow, I'm talking to the creator of the universe. I'm talking to a perfect God. He is hearing me. And he's hearing me because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. And maybe that ought to make us just go, Wow, that, that is an amazing thing. But we run right by it. Just right by it. Like we're writing a letter or something like that, don't we? So, uh, O God of Jacob, Selah. Think about that. What do you think about that? Verse 9. O God, behold our shield. What's he carrying a shield for? What is that all about? And look upon the face of your anointed. Now, almost always when I think of your anointed, I think of Jesus. But he's not talking about Jesus here, okay? This is a man who is starting to pray. And when he starts to pray, he addresses God. And uh, even though it doesn't sound like it, he's actually magnifying God, uplifting God, and praising God in that uh, that first phrase. And it overwhelms him. That's why he has to take a break. I... uh, Sometimes hear people and it blesses me. People usually apologize when they're praying and they get emotional. You ever heard anybody like that? They start to cry or they lose their, they get choked up, they can't speak. And then they say, I'm so sorry. Um, let Let me just say to you, don't ever apologize for that. That shows that your heart is in it. That shows that you uh, really believe what you're saying. And uh, am I alone? That never embarrasses me when people do that. It always blesses me. Does it you? I mean, that's a good thing for you to feel it like that. Well, that's what the psalmist is doing. And that's why the Selah is in there. It's almost like that there he is. He's finally in the temple. He's finally talking to the Lord that he loves so much. And it chokes him up. And he has to stop. I think it also is something that, as I mentioned earlier, that we ought to to think about. 
Now, what is it that is so misunderstood about prayer? I think that this has probably been going on for a long time. What is the worship of the Lord? Well, some people say it's going to church, it's, it's attendance. But you could attend church a thousand times and uh, not really worship. So that's, that's something we need to really grasp and get a hold of. And some people would say, well, it's a part of the service where we sing. We're going to have our praise and worship time. I've heard somebody say that. And then we're going to have the preaching. Actually, worship is the totality of what we do. And all of it is an act of worship. But sometimes we leave out this one thing. And this would be the first point that I would want to share that comes out of this. Is that uh, prayer is actually uh, worship. How do you worship God? You worship God by praying. You worship God in your prayer. Whenever you're having a prayer time in the morning or prayer time over a meal or prayer time with a need that comes up or prayer time as something that you just want to say thank you to the Lord and acknowledge Him, we're supposed to pray without ceasing after all. That means always being conscious of God and taking everything to Him. And when we do that, we are worshiping God. So you can worship God anywhere at any time. And it doesn't have to be here. It doesn't have to be in an altar as we call it. It doesn't have to be in a formal setting. It doesn't have to be before a meal. It doesn't have to be at bedtime. I mean those are all fine. But uh, you certainly don't have to do that. Now this is important because Jesus told us in Matthew 21.13. He said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. Now, we may not actually make it a den of robbers, but um, you make it a fill-in-the-blank because it seems like we do anything and everything but pray. It seems like that we uh, sometimes want to be entertained when we come to church. We want to, uh, some people want to be lifted up when they come to church. Quick story, when I was pastor at First Baptist Chelsea, I uh, told the church, I said, I need you to pray for me. I am really, really discouraged right now. And so uh, Wednesday night they, they uh, did that. And the next day uh, I was sitting in the office and I wasn't really feeling much better. And the secretary comes in and says, Smokey Tanner, bet you can't figure out how he got his name. Uh, everybody in the little town, they have a nickname. And said, uh, Smokey Tanner is coming in to see you. And I remember my first thought was, oh, great, that's all I need now. And uh, he comes in and sits down. And I said, uh, hey, brother, what can I do for you? And he goes, well, last night, that's the way he talked. Guess why? And uh, he had quit smoking by this time, but he had a reputation. But he said, last night you were talking about being discouraged. Yes, sir, I was. And he goes, well, back on the farm we had a Model T. And our Model T would not make it uphill very far and it wouldn't make it through a mud puddle and he goes and there were times when it would bog down and he said it would always back up and he said and so we would back it up and then we would hit the gas and get a running start so we'd make it through the mud puddle and he goes so if you're discouraged by the church and what's happening he goes I think we're just backing up so that we can make a running start and get through what has always stopped us before and then he got up and left I was encouraged by that. And, uh, you know, that, that old saying, ready to attack hell with a water pistol. I mean, I thrive on encouragement. Most people do. Well, when I was at uh, my next pastorate, kind of hit the same thing. And I told the church, I said, pray for me. Man, I am discouraged right now. I'm having a hard time. And the next day, the secretary comes and tells me that there was a lady coming in to see me and... I thought, I'm ready for my encouragement. You know what she said? I don't come to church to hear about your problems. And I don't appreciate you bringing everything down by telling us you're discouraged. Because if you can't live a victorious Christian life, then none of us have a chance. And I was thinking she'll turn around and walk out, but she didn't. And I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. I said, I promise you I'll never do that again. I kind of had the feeling we were family. Kind of had the feeling you were my sister in Christ and that you might care. But I'll make sure that never happens again. 
sometimes what you do with other people and what you say with other people gives you a less than desirable response. Have you ever noticed that? And uh, I have noticed that sometimes when I talk to the Lord, I expect Him to act a certain way. And you know what I found out? He doesn't always do that. But unlike the person that I just told you about, His actions are always right and they're always appropriate. And when I think about prayer and I think about it in terms of trying to maybe manipulate God a little bit or get a desired response from God. You know, what I did at one church worked. Surely it'll work at this next church. It doesn't. People are different and they respond differently. And if I hear somebody else pray and it seems like God blessed them and God answered their prayer, well then I'm going to answer it that way. When I... uh, transferred to go to school in Stillwater, I had always kind of had a knack for writing essays and uh, write them out fast and turn them in and do, do pretty well on them. But um, I had this guy up there. He was a little short British guy. And um, I could not write anything that pleased that guy. Brother Dale had him too in his semester up at OSU. And we were talking about it one time. Same guy, same guy. And I remember that I would write, and I would write like I always did in high school. And then I'd get it back, and it'd be an F. And I'm not used to making Fs. And so I would write again, and I would get a D. And I tried to talk to him. What do you want out of all of this? And then um, I finally turned in a paper, and I got an A on it. And I was you know, pretty proud of that. So you know what I did the next paper we had to write? I put my A paper down over here. And then I put my blank paper here and started writing it out. And I followed the same form, vocabulary, everything that I could do. And I turned it in and I thought, I finally know what this guy wants. And I got a D on that paper. Uh, I just couldn't figure it out. And you know, I felt that way sometimes when it comes to praying. Should I copy what somebody else does? Should I pray only the prayers that are in the Bible? Not a bad thing. And praying scripture, I love to do that. And take things that I read from the Bible and turn them into a prayer to the Lord. But uh, there are those times when it doesn't always fit with where I am and and what I'm going through in uh, that particular time. And so uh, I have struggled a lot over time. And most everybody I know that I talk to, uh, nobody seems to be really, really happy with their prayer life. And it finally dawned on me one time, this, this point number one, that God puts a priority on prayer because prayer is worship. And I really had not seen it as an act of worship. I had seen prayer as something that uh, lets This deity in heaven know where I am and what I need and he's supposed to rescue me or provide for me or give me something. And I didn't really see it much as worship. And in fact, I started noticing that if I wasn't careful, I would say, Oh, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus without really thinking about what that means. Just fly past it. That's, that's my introduction. Now let me get to the good stuff. Now let me get to what I'm really here for. Instead of thinking of it, this is my time to acknowledge God that He's hearing me and to think about why He hears me. And this is um, what the psalmist did when he came into the temple that was supposed to be a house of prayer. Uh, it's worship. O Lord God of hosts. Lord God Lord God, the master, that's Lord, the creator, that's God, and the God of hosts, the God with armies, the God who commands angels. You know, when I read that about the Lord of hosts, and I think about his power, and I think about his sovereignty, I think about how he fights battles, and he wins battles, and I think about... uh, The Lord returning in the book of Revelation and he comes back and he destroys the beast and the false prophet and the kings that are gathered against them. He is a mighty, mighty warrior, our commander in chief. 
But I also think about in the book of 2 Kings, do you remember a prophet named Elisha? Okay, Elisha, the guy that followed Elijah. And uh, he had a servant, Gehazi. And Gehazi is kind of upset because uh, there's an enemy coming. I think it was the Assyrians. Uh, don't quote me on that one. But um, Gehazi, all he can see is the enemy. All he can see is death and destruction and problems and a gloomy future. Remember that story? And Elisha prays, Oh Lord, open his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, you know what Gehazi saw? The angel armies of God all around them. And he, he's amazed because they outnumber the enemy. And you know, we're a lot like that. If our lives are not filled with worship and our prayer list is just something to try to get God to do what we want or give us what we want, and we skip this first part of prayer, we, we can get like that too. Boy, it sure looks like the enemy's winning on this earth and in our country to me and in a lot of families and in a lot of places. It sure looks like, boy, all I can see is the enemy. Well, if the Lord would just open up our eyes and we would see that none of this is caught guard, off guard, and that all of this is part of his plan to get us from A to B, and it fits right in with what he wants to do, and that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and to think that if you were to look at everything that the devil and his demons are doing, you would look and get discouraged, but if you could see what God is doing through worship, you would understand that you are victorious in Christ. I mean, after all, the Bible says that when Satan rebelled, he took a third of the angels with him. And so that's a lot of demons, a lot of demons. But if you also realize if he took one third, that means that the good angels outnumber the bad angels two to one, right? And we forget that sometimes. And so prayer should make us stop and worship. To think about who God is, to think about His power, to think about His greatness, to think about His sovereignty, to think about uh, His power as a creator, to think about the one who not only made everything but holds it all together. Oh, Lord God of hosts. It's a time of worship. But secondly, we forget that it's also a time of relationship. Hear my prayer and give ear and here's the clue, O God of Jacob. Who's Jacob? Well, his name was later changed to Israel. And so all of the people that are Jews, that are racial Jews, all the people that live in Israel in that time and in this time are called the children of Israel. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I was a kid, I thought Moses was leading a bunch of children out of Egypt. The children of Israel. Well, the word children there just means descendants. And every racial Jew that you've ever come across is a descendant of Jacob or Israel. And this guy is crying back to that, thinking of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, God made a covenant with him just like he did with Isaac and just like he did with uh, Abraham, the father of of the Jewish race. So when he cries out to the Lord and says these words that we read, hear my prayer, then he tells God why you should hear my prayer. Because I'm a great guy? I mean, the uh, Pharisee in the temple in Jesus' day tried to pull that kind of stuff. You know, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. And Jesus said, hey, one guy went home justified and the other one didn't. And guess what? It wasn't the guy that thought he was really good. So if we come to the Lord thinking that we're worthy and thinking that somehow we can get God's attention by talking about us, then we're going to miss it. It's going to fall flat. But he says, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Now stop and think about that, Selah. What does he mean by that? Lord, I'm praying and I'm asking you to hear me because I'm a part of your covenant people. I'm a part of your chosen people. I'm asking you to hear me on the basis of your word and your promises to my ancestors. I'm asking you to hear me and give ear to my prayer because of a covenant that has been made. Do you know that's what we pray when we say, Oh, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Put the brakes on and stop. 
What you are saying is, oh Lord, I'm coming to you not on my own merits, not on my own goodness, not because I'm religious, not because I've lived up to everything I think I ought to live up to, but for one reason, Jesus made a covenant with you and with me in his own blood. Remember that? The night that he was betrayed when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he passed the cup and he said, take and drink, this is the new covenant uh, that is made in my blood that is shed for you. And so when I come to the Lord Jesus, I'm coming like this guy did, only I'm not coming in the name of Jacob, I'm coming in the name of Jesus, but it's the same idea. It's a relationship. This poor, wretched, ungodly, undeserving sinner has been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have a mediator between me and God, and it's not you and it's not anyone else on earth. It is the man, Christ Jesus. And I come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, my mediator, and because of who he is and because of what he has done, God Almighty hears my prayers. So if we ever stop to think about prayer as not just something we have to do so we can eat, not just something we have to do because that's the way we start our services or the way we end something. But if we thought of it as worship, and when we thought about why it is we worship God through prayer, that would change the subject matter of our prayer. How much time do you spend thanking God? How much time do you spend acknowledging who He is? How much time do you spend praising Him and honoring Him in your prayer? Or is it just, I'll say this because I need to, now let me get to what I really mean and make it all about you. I think that's a real danger and we misunderstand the purpose of prayer. How much time do you spend in your relationship? You may have a date night. And why do you have a date night? Because you recognize that your relationship with your spouse is not going to go very far unless you spend time together. You need time together. And so think about that in your relationship with the Lord. If all your kids ever did was come up to you and say, Hi, Dad, I'm so glad to be here. Do you have $50? And that's all that ever came out. You would not enjoy that relationship very much. Well, that's what we do so often in prayer. That's why I've labeled it as neglected and misunderstood. We're either bored with it, don't see any use in doing it. Why? Because we don't get what we want. And we misunderstand relationship is such an important thing. And it's a relationship that is through the covenant that God has made with us. It's a privilege that we have that is by grace. And this psalmist is saying, you need to stop and pay attention and think about that. You know, the, uh, in Psalm 66, 18, it said, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And yet all of us being sinners, how do we get rid of that sin? Well, it was done by Jesus and by his grace when he paid for our sins on the cross or we wouldn't have a prayer. And that's why lost people may recite prayers, but they're not heard. They don't really have a prayer. They don't really have any way to communicate with the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. There's our equality. They're heirs of grace just like we are. That's no put down. And then he adds, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What you do in your marriage could make a difference in whether God hears your prayer the way you want him to hear you or not. Why? Because it's all about relationship. Relationship to God and relationship with one another. Because that husband you have was God's child, and God's creation before he was ever your husband. And that wife that you have was God's creation and God's daughter before she was ever your wife. And you're to treat each other as fellow heirs of the grace of life. I heard uh, Paul Tripp say one time talking to his wife, I always thought Luella was a weird name, but uh, that's her name. And uh, he said to her, 95% of the women in the church would love to be married to me. And she said, count me in the 5%. Put him in his place fast. You know what? I don't know the ins and outs of that situation. But I can tell you this. Their prayer life must have really, really 
stunk. Because you can't relate to other people. Remember what the Bible says? You bring your gift to the altar and then you realize your brother has something against you. Go make it bright with your brother and then come before the Lord. Because God values relationships. Our human relationships and our relationship with Him. And I'm afraid that prayer is misunderstood because we don't think about the relationship that we have with God, the privilege that we have to be able to speak to Him, to talk to Him, to be heard by Him, to have His favor and to have His grace because of what Jesus has done and the covenant that we have with Him. Thirdly, prayer seems to be in the Bible, there's a high priority on what I call intercession. And that means that I don't spend most of my time praying for myself, or at least I shouldn't. Now, I'll grant you there are those times when um, I'm praying about things for me that nobody else can pray for. And I need to do that, and you need to do that. We need to get right with God and pray about sin that's in our life and things like that that we have. But the Bible always kind of goes toward intercession. God loves it when we pray on behalf of other people. God loves it when we pray on behalf of other people. Now again, <clears throat> that doesn't mean you ignore your problems and your sin or your needs or anything like that. But if you'll think about the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know it. Have you ever noticed that everything in there is plural? It's not my Father in heaven, it's our Father. It's not give me my daily bread, it's give us this day our daily bread. It's not you know, just forgive me of my sin. It's forgive us our debts. Why do you think the Lord taught us to pray in that way? Because if we are not careful, we tend to get selfish and self-centered and self-focused in our prayer. So our prayer ought to be, as we saw in the first two points, related to God and His praise and His glory and His honor and remembering why we can pray and then we also ought to remember we're not the only one suffering. We're not the only one with needs. We're not the only one that is hurting. We're not the only one grieving. We're not the only one that is lonely. We're not the only one that is betrayed. You see what I'm saying? The Bible says that your suffering in the world is, you know, everybody's kind of going through this. You're not unique and you're not alone in all of that. And so when we pray, we need to remember those kind of things. Uh, and so... He goes right into intercession, and he says, Oh God, behold our shield. What in the world is he talking about? Well, Psalm 47, 9 says, The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Okay, shields are gathering? Well, who had a shield? The king did. The king had a shield with this crest on it and with the gold and with all of that ornate stuff so that anybody who saw that knew that that's not just a warrior shield. That is the king. And so what is happening here is the king has shown up at the temple at the same time this guy does. And what does this guy do? Instead of praying for himself, he starts praying for the king. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to Pray for our leaders, whether you voted for them or not, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Notice the emphasis on intercession, praying for others. And then he says, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified <coughs> in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So you don't have to know all of the ins and outs of that verse in order to realize this guy comes to the temple, he's worshiping the Lord, he's thankful for his relationship with the Lord, and then he immediately starts praying for the king who is apparently in the temple at the same time. And so intercession is something. Do you pray for other people? Do you pray for people you don't know? Do you pray for your leaders? Do you, uh, maybe you've got the radio on in the car and you hear about something that has to do with a, a vile, ungodly 
perverted uh, celebrity. Okay? What, do you, what do you do when you hear that? Well, it's far too easy to go, oh, those people are just disgusting, aren't they? I can't believe, you know, and there they are, millionaires, and we're struggling. I just can't believe all of this. Or do you stop and pray for them? Praying for Hollywood stars, praying for athletes, praying for entertainers, praying for people like that. This is what it means to pray without ceasing, but to have our minds and our hearts on the salvation and the well-being of other people. And uh, it's too easy to say, I'll be praying for you, and then never think another thing about it. <coughs> and God is calling us to something higher than that. So, <coughs> pardon me, prayer is not just about you. And prayer should not be just focused on you, intercession. And then lastly, um, the psalmist says, and look upon the face of your anointed. Who was the anointed? Well, how did a person become king? Well, the prophet would take the thing and then pour the oil all over him and they would consecrate him as the king. You're anointed here. It's just another word that he's talking about with the shield for the king. And um, look at that. Look upon the face of your anointed. Look upon the face. There's something about the face of God being upon people. In fact, that blessing in the Old Testament, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing and the psalmist here is going now Lord would you look upon the face of the king because as the king goes so the nation goes if the king is immoral the nation's probably going to be immoral if the king is not blessed by God how does the nation expect to be blessed by God in fact the scripture says when the righteous rule then there's happiness and joy in the nations, but when the unrighteous rule, then the people groan. And there's a lot of groaning going on right now. A lot of things like that. We ought to be praying for our president, praying for senators, praying for people in the House of Representatives, praying for governors, praying for state legislatures. We ought to be praying for uh, mayors and praying for city councils. We ought to be praying for school boards. There's a lot of ungodliness coming out of the teachers union and pressure being put on teachers and it's affecting children right now we ought to be praying for judges at every level where the courts are that justice might be done and that they might have wisdom and also don't forget to pray for their souls this is biblical this is what we should do and this is what this psalmist was doing to look upon means to bless and the anointed one of course is the king and it's a prayer for his good and I'd like to uh, close by asking you to turn in your Bibles to James 3 and read verse 13 through 18 with me as a way that you can pray for President Biden, as a way that you can pray for Governor Stitt, as a way that you can pray for Mayor Holt if you live in Oklahoma City. Uh, this is something very, very important because we've got a lot of foolish people and a lot of foolish temptations coming down upon good people even that are serving in politics. And it says, James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, I would hope it would be me. Hope it would be you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There's humility there. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual or sensual, one version says, and demonic. And you know what I just read to you? Bitter ambition, right? And all of that. That's politics. That's the way those people have to live. That's a description of every com campaign that anybody's been in. It's tearing down the other person. It's jockeying for position. Lie if you have to. Uh, run is... I get so tired of people running as conservatives and voting as liberals. And uh, that's my vote they're toying with and monkeying with. And so what's happening? They're filled with demonic wisdom is what James is saying. Uh, let's see. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. No wonder they're so corrupt. No wonder there's all kinds of sexual and perverted things coming out uh, all the time. 
Because that's what wisdom they work by. But the wisdom from above, and this is what they need, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Oh, if we had a government like that. Can you imagine how good that would be? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, we are supposed to be the ones making peace, aren't we? So our Facebook post ought to be different than the world's. Our political talk ought to be different than the world's. We are peacemakers. And so pray for your leaders, even the ones you don't particularly like or didn't vote for, that they would be pure, that they would be a peacemaker, that they would be gentle, that they would be a listener, that they would have mercy and good fruit in their life, that they would be impartial, and that they would be sincere because we're all tired of people tricking us, lying to us, and breaking our promises. Well, maybe it's because the people of God have forgotten to pray. And when we pray, maybe we've forgotten who God is. Maybe we've forgotten the reason that we're even able to pray. And maybe we've forgotten to pray for other people. We just kind of leave that up to somebody else and leave it up to God. And maybe when we pray, the last point on this is the psalmist seemed to pray in terms of blessing and hope, optimism, victory. And sometimes when we pray, we are so down in the mouth and we are so defeated and we are so discouraged. You know, the old story is the pastor came into his office and his secretary was sitting there and he said, oh, Mrs. Jones, there's nothing left to do but pray. And she goes, oh, no, has it come to that? And that's the way we act. As though prayer is, that's our swan song. That's our defeat. That's when everything is really bad. That's when they are playing taps. That's when it's all over. Now we've got to pray. What if we turn that around and we saw prayer as a resource for victory and a reason to hope and to think that our prayers could be answered? I was praying the other day and I was thinking about Hebrews 11 that they being dead still speak it says. And I got to thinking. And I said, Lord, I pray that Steve Elkin's prayers for Graceway would still be answered. And that even though maybe he didn't see everything he prayed for come to fruition, may in time it do that. And I got to thinking about all the people that have prayed for me and prayed for us over the years that are now in heaven with the Lord. I don't know that they pray for us and we don't pray to them. That's not biblical at all. But what if that last prayer that they prayed, the Lord said, I've heard that prayer and I am going to answer it and I'm going to do it in due time. And what if he would do that to us so that the prayers that we pray, maybe even tonight, when the Lord takes you to heaven... And all of a sudden, your reward pile gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you say, Lord, I don't understand. I haven't done anything. I'm in heaven. How, how come that is going on? Because your prayer that you prayed back on September 22nd of 2021 is still being answered 100 years later or 50 years later or 200 years later, whatever it might be. There's an investment that we make when we pray. So... Tonight, my prayer is through this simple little message and the simple words of this psalmist that you will be able to look at prayer and to go, I'm worshiping when I pray. And I'm praying and able to worship because of what Jesus has done for me. Oh, I'm so glad I was included in his eternal plan. And then to think, Lord, I get so selfish. This is my time to turn my thoughts outward to other people. Might be the king, it might not be the king, just someone else and other people's needs and their problems and knowing that I'm not just walking through this being picked on, but other people are suffering as well and my pain makes my eyes open to their pain so I can pray for them. And then to do it with a spirit of blessing, hope, optimism, victory, whatever you want to call it, 
to know that God is for you who can be against you. What an awesome thing it is to have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he calls us to pray. So as you uh, get ready to leave tonight, would you pray? Would you really pray? If there's any sin you need to confess, confess it. If there's a relationship that needs to be made right, pray about it and then go make it right. If there's a need that you have in your life, I didn't say don't pray for yourself. Certainly pray for that. But think about other people who have needs as well. You're probably not the only one who needs a job or needs a raise or needs to have a prodigal child come home. You're probably not the only one who needs a few extra bucks. You're probably not the only one who is lonely or discouraged. I mean, we, we take that out and we make it plural. And then pray with faith and realize that God is a God who answers prayer and he can do anything that pleases him. And that's the way we ought to pray for Diana Long, for example. And uh, think about what she's going through with an upcoming heart surgery as well as the healing of that broken ankle. It's the way we ought to pray when we think about Bob Hooker. He's got prostate cancer and treatments that are coming up. And uh, yet they're still on lockdown where he lives. Um, man, he was supposed to start those treatments in September. He doesn't start any treatment until the end of October. And uh, yet he's trusting God, ministering and serving God while he's doing that. You know anybody else like that? You know anybody else going through a hard time? Know anybody else? Well, this is the time to pray for them. So I'm going to ask you to uh, do a pre-COVID thing and gather together in groups of three or four and just spend some time praying for one another and praying for people that come to your mind and then you can leave whenever you're finished. Thank you for being here and thank you for being good listeners tonight. I appreciate that. But now let's get down to brass tacks and let's pray like the psalmist did. And think about that little simple outline and uh, try to apply that to your attitude as you pray. Okay, gather up into little groups and spend some time praying for each other and praying for other people that are on your heart as well. And uh, may the Lord bless you and bless you richly as you do.